Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. I just got off a plane about an hour ago from um, Singapore and Hong Kong, just in time to celebrate my 150th radio show for Voice America Business. I began this program on a 13-week trial three years ago, and I'm very proud of the fact that three years later, we're going from strength to strength, getting bigger and better and stronger than ever. Having been um, in Singapore and Hong Kong, both of whom have magnificent airports and uh, just make it so easy to travel and so easy to check your flights and find where you're going and find where you, your next flight leaves from and, and the simplicity of getting from downtown uh, to the airport and, and actually through on the trains, on the express trains they've got, it's just fantastic. You know, and we go to LAX, which is my local airport, and God, it's like it's like it's still in the 1940s. Now, these countries have got the most fabulous amenities, and they're they're really high tech. And and at LAX, it's still you know don't park near the curb. God. Anyway, maybe it'll get improved. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks on what is likely to happen with Apple or what was likely to happen with Apple. There was no surprises. Um, iWatch actually looks pretty cool from what I've seen of it. Looks very good. The um, um, <coughs> iWallet, well, that was a must, and that also looks great. And, of course, what I've been hanging out for is the big screen iPhone. I've Six months ago, I was going to buy a Samsung, and I've, I've held out and held out. So now I can get a decent screen iPhone. So I think they did, did all the right things yesterday, and guess what? Stock went down. I don't get it. I just I cannot understand Apple's stock. Just, just I would have thought that, you know, three major... Um, initiatives, and you know, people talk about um, the things that Steve Jobs did when he was around. Well, I think that uh, this this release yesterday, um, the today, stands up as good as most of those, and yet the stock went down. I don't know what Tim Cook's got to do to um, to prove himself, but um, I, for one, <clears throat> am applauding all three of those initiatives. I think they're fantastic. Now, if you're listening for the first time in three years, we've been bringing you this show week in, week out. We've interviewed over 180 business leaders and movers and shakers. We've provided untold amounts of advice on uh, how to become a successful entrepreneur. You know, we don't talk about the stock price. I just just did, of course. But we don't talk about... um, minor fluctuations in stock price and why and wherefores and and all of that boring shit. What we do is we give you practical advice 
to help you become one of those Fortune 500 companies. And each week we try to bring you the latest information of what's happening in business throughout the world. We've also discussed lately a lot about uh, the Internet of Things. And, of course, home automation has become a hot topic in the tech industry. And, you know, I'm not – I can find my way around technology, but I stayed with – at the home of the CEO of a major healthcare company, um, global here in, I think, 130-odd countries. I stayed at his home in in England, and uh, he said, um, you know, here are the keys to the Bentley. Take it out whenever you want. And uh, incidentally, the home is totally tech. Everything works from buttons and switches and from a remote. Uh, you know, your curtains, your windows, your television, your stoves, your fridges, your lights, every single thing is um, technology. Well, I was there for about 10 days on my own and I didn't cook a meal at home because I couldn't get the, any of the electronics to work. I watched very little television because I couldn't get all the technology. He had the best technology year, couldn't get any of that to work. So um, I decided that this whole thing, it sounds cute to have a totally automated house, but I decided that practically it was too bloody hard. Well, there's a, um, a startup created by students from the University of Minnesota, which I think is really on the right track. It's called Platerbase, and it gives a you know, totally different approach to home automation than most. It's you control, you know, controlling everything from your phone or from a, a remote desktop thing is a pain in the ass. You know, it's just too hard. So rather than taking out your phone to switch on and off your lights or whatever you need to do, um, Platerbase Remo wrist, 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 wristband it allows you to control all the objects in your home simply by pointing at them. So you point at the toaster and it goes on. You point at the light in the lounge room and it goes on. You point at the TV and it goes on. No matter what you point to, it goes on. And now that makes sense to me. Pointing, I can do. And um, it isn't the only company experimenting with gesture control technology for home automation. Um, point Grab unveiled its camera-based um, gesture solution, point switch, I think it's called. They released it, I don't know, six months ago or so, and you can turn off your lights with gestures. And there's a Myo armband that allows you to control your home electronics with sort of Jedi-like gestures. So some of these smart home solutions, though, can be rather difficult to actually use and you know, while we want technology to become cleverer and cleverer, we also want it to become simpler and simpler, or I do anyway. So oftentimes you need to point at a very specific area multiple times to get to carry out a, a command. So that just sort of negates all the uh, convenience, doesn't it? So, but Platterbase claims that the Remo is different. They say it's so easy that an 85-year-old can strap it on and use it. It certainly sounds simple, and the wristband's able to control all your household objects through a smart plug which communicates with both the bracelet 
and the objects that it's connected to. So um, you just point at them and they go. So turn on the coffee pot. You point to the coffee pot and wave towards you if, as if you're telling somebody to come here and it makes you coffee. Now, if only we could find a way to actually bring it to you so you didn't have to get up off the couch, that'd be great, particularly during a football game. So the Remo will work on both smart and standard home appliances, and you only need one plug to power multiple devices. It comes with a series of small checker-sized air receivers that you can stick on any object that you want to use with the bracelet. These air receivers pick up signals from your wristband and the smart plug to interpret your gestures. So I think that's fantastic. They're launching um, an Indiegogo campaign around about now, I think, to raise 50 grand for the Rima, and they were um, recently selected to join Microsoft's Ventures Accelerator. So they're on their way. So good on you, kids. Um, at, um, where was it? I forgot. At... Hmm, can't find it now, but it's it's very clever. And University of Minnesota, good on you. Brilliant, brilliant development, brilliant move forward. The 50,000 should be a piece of cake. And uh, pointing at things around me makes things accessible that haven't, haven't been before, so I'm all for that. And I thought I'd talk to you just for a second about how you'll be able to use your iPhone 6 as a wallet. Now, they're, they're making a big foray into the mobile payment system, um, and they've got, as you know, hundreds of millions of um, um, credit card details, etc., on file with um, iTunes and whatever. So they, they have got a perfect entree into mobile wallets. So to some people, you know, ditching cash and debit cards for your phone sounds like a nightmare. Pay everything with your phone, but don't be alarmed. All you need to know is how do I use my iPhone to pay for something? Well, you use it exactly the same way that you pay for anything. You visit a store, walk up to the register, present your method of payment, you know, cash, credit card, or in this case, your phone, and uh, make the transaction. I mean, how easy can that be? So um, it's like an expanded version of the iPhone Passport app, which allows users to store tickets and boarding passes and coupons with barcodes that can be scanned. It's great, very simple, and perfect. Um, Wired says that the near-field communication is a major part of the feature. NFC is a way for um, devices to wirelessly exchange small amounts of data over very small distances, you know, usually just a few centimetres, by tapping one smart object against another. So while devices using Bluetooth technology have to be set up to work together, the presence, the presence of an NFC chip in the new iPhone just allows for secure communication and transactions quickly and easily. Another common question is, um, will it work the same in every store? Now, the e-wallet system will provide users with smart menus based on the context of a transaction. 
So that suggests that Apple's mobile payment system will eventually be equipped to offer different payment options depending on the store or the retailer that you're going to. For example, it might determine which store you're based through your location. It can determine where you are and therefore charge money to the same card that um, you used last time you were there. Or it might take advantage of a rewards program that's um, linked to a particular card or a particular store. So it's got it's plenty versatile. So how does it process payments? It just processes them through iTunes. Now the the credit card companies will be sending statements directly to your iTunes account, and Apple's got eight hundred million iTunes accounts on file, most of which are already linked to uh, credit cards. And that's larger than the number of accounts on file at either Amazon or PayPal. So, you know, they're three quarters of the way there. And the credit card companies are all on board. Well, Visa and, and American Express, MasterCard. So all the majors are already on board. Apple's been trying to do this now for a few years. but um, And earlier this year, we thought something was afoot when they hired a few executives with experience in the payment industry. You know, they can build a business just around the hundreds of millions of um, cards they've already got on file. So, and people are used to using um, their their iPhone using Touch ID for buying music or movies or books. So it's it's no issue to use it for a whole bunch of other stuff. And the Google Wallet system allows users, you can store information from all kind of cards. It, you know, it can be your credit cards, it can be gift cards, it can be loyalty cards, and you can pay stores or your friends using um, NFC technology. Now, PayPal you know, also allows users to pay retailers and you know, restaurants and a whole bunch of other stuff through its mobile app. In terms of hardware, phones like Samsung Galaxy have had NFC services, but mobile payments like these haven't exactly become widespread, although that it, it is growing. But this will change as Apple's, you know, Apple's got such a huge devoted following of, of users like myself, and uh, this will make um, a mobile payment system by Apple just so much more appealing and more and more people will um, um, use it, and more and more merchants will um, will sign up. So, I'm very enthusiastic about um, about what Apple's done. So, I recommended to my little investment group in LA that we um, look at buying Apple because I think it's probably just a fraction under a hundred bucks at the minute, and um, we really need to um, support them. So I think they're a good buy. Uh, last week, I spoke, I'm a big Ken Robinson fan, as you possibly know, and uh, I spoke last week about his TED Talk on education in the Western world, and his TED Talk's got more views than any other TED Talk ever. Um. He believes that we're teaching our students rigid and formulaic approach and that we should be um, teaching to people's strengths and not um, 
trying to create this great uniformity. And this week, the um, former Secretary of Labor, Robert Reich, weighed in and uh, he talked about flaws in our higher education model and how we can open more gateways to the middle class. And it's very timely because right now, millions of um, young people are heading off to college and universities. And, you know, it's amazing how many of them do liberal arts degrees, which take four years, cost a bloody fortune, and they're useless. You know, for one thing, a four-year liberal arts degree, it's hugely expensive. And, uh, you know, young people get graduate laden with debt that can take years, almost decades, to pay off. And when you, co- when you come out of university with a, um, a liberal arts degree, most of you can't find a job. So you have to settle for jobs that don't require four years of college. So you're overqualified for the work you do, you're underwhelmed by the work you have to do, and you still owe a bloody fortune for it. And more, even more still, drop out of college because they're either unprepared or unsuited for a four-year liberal arts curriculum. I mean, the whole thing's a disaster. So Robert Reich is saying that we should, for example, consider technician jobs. They don't require a four-year degree, but they do require mastery over a domain of technical knowledge, which can usually be obtained in a couple of years. Technician jobs are growing in importance and growing in salaries, I might add. And as digital equipment replaces the routine worker jobs, technicians are needed to, you know, you're needed to install things, to monitor things, to repair things, to test things, to upgrade things. The whole range of, of skills that um, with technical jobs, hospital technicians, look at the amazing things that are happening in hospitals and with um, medical technology. And these are all areas where we are not getting served. Think about automobile technicians with the changes in cars now. You know, cars are are technology on four wheels. We've got 3D printers. They're replacing assembly lines. They need technicians. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how many technicians we need and how many we're going to need, and they're high-paid jobs. So you don't have all the expense of getting the degree. You earn more money, and you're not paying it off for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, America isn't educating the technicians we need. And our aspirations seem all sort of set on getting a four-year college degree, so we've sort of lost sight of the fact that you know, you don't need to do that. And so Robert Reich this week, very powerful endorsement of Sir Ken Robinson's views. If you get a chance to go and see Ken Robinson, I saw him um, with a bunch of my metal friends out at um, um, Thousand Oaks, and he was fantastic. I mean, he was just brilliant. And really, everybody walked out of there thinking in a totally different way about the education that we need. Now, my interview today is with Timothy White, Thomas White, sorry, Thomas White. Um, For the last 35 years, he's um, initiated breakthroughs in areas as diverse as computer software, publishing, printing, market research, leadership development, organizational change. And Thomas is the CEO of the C-Suite Network, 
an organisation exclusively reserved for C-suite members. Now, you're listening to the 150th Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. We're here solely to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll either answer it on air or we'll email you directly. So you're listening to Voice America Business. This is the place on the dial where you want to go any hour of the day for business news. And I'll be back with today's interview in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we, we talk to people who have achieved great success and who are making a real difference in the world of business. We often talk on this program about the need for mentors and the need to have a source available where you can receive advice. You know, there's plenty of challenges that face every business, no matter whether it's large or small, and we need to get advice so that we don't make the mistakes that others before us have made. I mean, there's plenty of room to make our own mistakes. Now, there seems to be a lot of mentors available for entrepreneurs in early stage businesses, but what about when you make it to the C-suite? Now, for those of you who may not know, the C-suite refers to people who have a C in their title. No, not that C. People like CEOs and COOs and CFOs and those sort of Cs. So where do they go for advice? My guest today has addressed this issue by founding the C-suite network, which is an organization reserved for C-suite members. And it focuses on enhancing each member's profitability um, through a unique networking and educational experience which connects executives to their peers. Sounds like a great idea. Thomas White, CEO of the network, which provides online learning experience, customized content and conferences. Jeffrey Hazlett, who we've had on the show um, incidentally, is also a great speaker if you're looking for a speaker. And uh, absolutely brilliant guy, and he's co-founder of the C-Suite Network, and of course you can catch him on Bloomberg TV. Jeffrey describes the C-Suite as the go-to place for insights, advice, education, and services for all leaders in the C-Suite. So it's critical in all business, no matter who you are and where you are, to have an advisory board with 
people that have been there and done that and a diverse range of people so you get different advice from different perspectives and they'll provide you with strategic guidance they'll inspire action and uh, you know they keep you motivated when often you might find that um, you might feel that you're sort of pushing it uphill Thomas welcome to the Bob Pritchard radio show it's good to speak with you Bob it's good to speak with you as well now I note that you've been the CEO of Profoundly Simple for 12 years, so obviously you're pretty smart as well, as Jeffrey. And um, one question that I think crosses the mind of every entrepreneur at one stage or another is, if you've got five businesses that open in a city, one of them will flourish and after a couple of years we'll have three or four um, stores or businesses, branches, and the other four will have gone broke, yet they're selling the same product, they're in the same market. Why is it that some succeed and some fail? You know, I think there's, there's a number of reasons, Bob. I, one of those is how the executive, the entrepreneur, deals with challenges. You know, some people, when they run up against a challenge, the first thing you're going to do is, oh, my gosh, this is hard. Yeah. That's, a real <laughs> entrepreneur says, oh, my gosh, this is something I didn't expect. A great opportunity to learn, a great opportunity for me to do something I haven't done before. Let me figure it out. So that's number one. It's, it shows the attitude when you run into challenges. Okay. I think the second thing is, the second thing is really simple, and we all know we should be doing this, but we certainly don't, is listening to your customer. Yep. Customers will tell us what we need to know. They'll tell us how we can satisfy them. But so few entrepreneurs actually listen to the customer. They think they know better. They just go out and make the offers because they think they are going to be accepted, and the customer will tell you what they like and don't like, and they'll help you be a great success if you listen to them. Yeah, I always say that the only person who can really put you out of business is the customer, and all they have to do is stop <laughs> buying from you. Right. Nobody else can put you out of business. Well, government can probably shut you down, but nobody else can put you out of business. It's only the customer. They have all the power, and particularly today. They have more power than they've ever had before. So tell me about Profoundly Simple. What's that about? Well, Profoundly Simple came out of my own interest in, as a CEO, and I've started 10 different companies, starting when I was 22 years old, Right. and I found that the thing I loved the most was getting the people that work for me to be their best, to get, yep. having them to be the brightest, having them be the, be, be the most alive, having them to be the most passionate, and be most intuitive, but most committed to get something done. Right. And that part of it, you don't get a whole lot of time to do as a CEO, because you've got to talk to your shareholders and your investors and your bankers and your customers and your staff. So sure. I started Profoundly Simple as a business that helps leaders get the most out of themselves and their whole team. Right. So how did, was that a, an automatic extension into the C-suite? Is there a connection there or is C-suite something sort of totally different? No, actually it was. Actually, Profoundly Simple came out of, a, 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 it's a follow-on business to a business I acquired in the 90s that was called SportsMind, and SportsMind's focus was leadership development. Right. And we had a, a physical orientation, an emotional orientation, and a mental one to bring the wholeness of the person to addressing it. And we worked with the largest corporations in the world, to entrepreneurial startups, to nonprofits, to religious organizations, helping them bring out the best of their leaders. Right. It, it, uh, people... Natural-born leaders, I mean, you look at some people and, and that walk out in front of a crowd or walk out in front of staff or walk out in front of shareholders and are just naturally 
um, exciting and, and leaders. I remember seeing Steve Jobs a few years ago and at the end of his presentation, if he had said, come on, we're all going to go to the Grand Canyon and jump off, we all would have trotted along like lemmings and jumped off the cliff. Some people just have that whatever it is, X factor, I suppose, use an overworked word. So what percentage of being a great leader and a great because um, to be a great CEO, you need to be a great leader, don't you? Whether you're leading your team or whether you're leading shareholders or whether you're leading investors or <laughs> whoever you're leading, um, you need to be a great leader. So how much of that is born and how much of that can be taught to somebody? Well, you know, I think it's, I like to use the analogy like a piano player. You know, right. everyone could be taught to be extremely proficient playing the piano. Yep. We all have the ability to learn and do that. And everybody could be taught to be extremely proficient leader. Yeah. Now, there are virtuosos. Yes. A virtuoso is somebody who has in them those extra special gifts that help them be an extraordinary leader. Everyone's not going to be an extraordinary leader like everyone's not going to be an extraordinary pianist. Yeah. But we all can be competent. We can all be proficient if we realize that it's about learning. You know, one of the biggest challenges for all CEOs is they need, they need to remember, and you said this earlier, that they need to have a network around them of people that are going to give them advice that's untainted so that they can continue to see what they can't see and learn. Those that know that succeed. Those that don't are going to be surprised and sometimes very badly. Yeah, I saw some, I saw some figures come out of a study at, um, I think it was Stanford, that said that um, only 11% of CEOs do any learning whatsoever after they've achieved their tertiary education. They just don't bother. Yeah, and isn't that odd? You know, if you think, think about professional sports. You know, the, the top performers in sp- professional sports perform at their best because they have a coach. Now, right. In the leadership world, we call that a mentor or a, a coach, you know, something like that. But, but the top athletes need that because they can't see themselves yes. clearly. And the CEO can't see himself clearly either. And if he doesn't take advantage of that, he's going to be mediocre. And why would you want to be mediocre when you could be great? Yeah, I agree. Now, well, isn't the difference, though, that the average CEO, if you're in a business that's, um, you know, you pass the startup stage and now you're you're in a, a growth phase, you are working 80, 90 hours a week, and I guess the thought of having to go off to a, a CEO school, if you like, or whatever, it, you know, you sit there and think, Jesus, the wife's yelling at me, I haven't seen her for a week, I haven't seen the kids since last Tuesday. Uh, if there's one thing that can go, it's the ongoing learning. Well, if CEOs that decide that's the, the path for themselves, that's the answer, are going to realize it's a false economy. You know, when I'm going away, I take, take three or four days and I go off and learn something new. I just get some fresh perspective by talking to my peers like we do in the, C, in the C-suite network. Sure. I'm going to have an easier time with my job. So those obstacles that I face, I don't have to trudge through them. I can actually call somebody I know or I can already have some insight into that. So it doesn't take me 20 hours to figure it out. It might take me an hour. Yeah. So it's, I think it's just a false economy. We get caught up in, on the treadmill and we think that there's no way out. But, of course, then we're right, unless we step off of it and decide to operate a different way. Yeah, I think one of the big problems is trying to sort out important from, um, you know, things that are important to do rather than things that are just there that should be done. Um, you know, I must admit, yeah, I know, suffer. It, 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 we all do that, but you know what? We all have the same number of hours of the day. Yep. So it's just a matter of how we choose to, how we choose to spend them. 
Yeah, that's true. So why is thought leadership vital to the survival of a business? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, our customers are looking to us to be uh, an organization, wherever our company is, looking to us to be in the forefront of our field, continuing to innovate. You know, customers sure. will be satisfied with some level of quality of services today, but tomorrow that raises, and those features about that service may change as well. So if I'm a thought leader, I'm, my customer is going to think and, and feel confident that I'm able to change the business, change the service, change the, the, what they can count on for me as time goes on. That They worry about companies that are in the middle or the back of the pack. They have that less confidence shows up in less revenue and, of course, less profits. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult, though, for a CEO today, isn't it? Because, you know, who would have thought that, a technology, I guess a software company really like Apple would knock off the music industry or that an Amazon, which is, you know, just another iMall, not quite, but you know what I mean, would knock off the book business or that, um, you know, banks are probably going to be knocked off by a Google. How difficult is it for CEOs to sort of see where that blind side's coming from? Well, you know, it's, it's, Good question. I think this is something, again, going back to what we talked about a little earlier. Um, if I'm in a, a, a create, create around me anyway, a network of people that are going to give me feedback and advice, they're going to help me see those things that I can't see. They're going to also have perspectives about the world that are going to be different than mine. And it's those different perspectives going to help me avoid the pitfalls, have me realize it's time to make a change. And, you know, also... You know, CEOs is a lonely job. You know, it who do is. I talk to? I can't talk to I can't talk to my board usually because I don't want them to know I don't understand this. Sure. I can't talk to my subordinates, and I don't have a peer network. And one of the reasons we created this C-suite network is for CEOs and other C-suite leaders to have a network where they can let their hair down, have a private, confidential conversation, and come back rejuvenated and with a lot more insight on how they should act. Right. That's it. So, do you think CEOs in the main are aware of the potential um, Amazon or Apple sitting in the wings just waiting to knock them off? Do you think the average CEO is anywhere near looking at that? I saw some, some studies by... I'm a big fan of the Singularity University, and I saw some stuff that they churned out, which is absolutely bloody scary. I mean, if you were a CEO, you'd, you know, you'd look for another job. Um, so how, how important is it to get involved or an organization like yours to get involved with somebody like, you know, Futurists or, or a Singularity University to try and help your members understand the change that's happening? Because I don't think most CEOs do. But, you know, that's right. So my experience, I've been, so I've been a CEO a lot and I've also, you know, been other roles in companies. I don't think we're ever truly surprised by change. I think we are hopefully it won't affect us. Yeah. So we ignore it until it's almost too late. And so the fact that Amazon is going to be the store place for everything or Walmart came into communities and there's no more local jewelry stores and bookstores, that was no surprise. Yeah, true. Communities just thought that they could bypass it. So then if I am a CEO, I can see the trends. Even technologies that are coming, you know, Apple created the iPhone, but nothing was innovative relative to the core technology. What was innovative True. was the way they put it together. Yeah, that's right. So anybody who's 
knows what's going on in universities today, can see where the future is going to happen. It's just a matter of now realizing that I need to make changes to adapt to that. And if I'm not willing to do that, I'm going to have some real problems. Okay. So the C-suite, how does somebody... What what position does somebody um, what position does somebody need? Obviously, they need a C in their title. But what um, what position does somebody need to have to be a member of the C suite? And how do they go about it? And then well, what can they expect? Uh, so, so the you know C suite here really is a, it's almost a metaphor. I mean, certainly a lot of people have, like you said, CEO or COO or chief marketing officer or whatever. Yeah. But in some companies, they don't use that nomenclature. Sure. So maybe it's the vice president of marketing and the vice president of sales. But it's really somebody... And chief superstar and all that sort of stuff these days. Yeah. Somebody's got a responsibility for a particular function in the business, and they're at the top leadership level of the company. And we are looking at companies with at least $10 million in revenue, okay. up to $3 billion is our, is our sort of sweet spot of our market. And the reason we've chosen that sizing is that everybody from that $10 million up generally is about growth. Right. Now, if you're, you're, if you're starting up, you're about survival. Yes. But as you start moving, you're, you've got to grow. So whether you're, if you're at 20 billion, 20 million rather, or you're at a billion, differences scale, but the problems and challenges are almost identical. Right. So we're able to bring common content, common observations to this very large network of people that are, for the most part, underserved, particularly cross-functionally, and help, you know, so what do they need to, to do? Well, c-suite-network.com, go to the website. Is a thing, find out more about us, send us, fill out the form, and we'll send you some information to see if you, this is the right thing for you or not. So, Crazy. I, so I join. Now, what can, I, what can I expect from you guys? What, what, um... Well, I can tell you some things that are public, and I can't tell you some other things, okay. so I'll just tell sure. you what I can tell you. You know, right now, we have two conferences that we're offering this year, one um, in Dallas, May 4th through 6th, uh, another one in... Um, uh, Marina Del Rey at the Ritz-Carlton in, in November. Nice. And those conferences are gathering of 500 C-suite leaders. Right. We're not charging them any registration fee. Incredible programs. Uh, C-suite leaders talking about their challenges, their successes, their best practices, and the way the future is going. We have some motivational speakers there as well. We're bringing technology so these C-suite leaders can be able to connect in a way they've never been able to connect before, and then we'll offer them something that's pretty dramatic, which is an online network that I'm not going to talk about yet, but they'll be able to, okay. to, to witness that when they go to the conference. Okay. We've also created a whole bunch of content that's C-suite leader specific. We have a, a C-suite uh, blog that's right. written by C-suite leaders, just for C-suite leaders. Uh, we're going to have C-suite radio, which is just content of conversations with C-suite leaders. And Jeffrey, uh, as you know, has yep. Bloomberg Television, but he's also starting to filming this week C-suite television interviews with the C-suite leaders that won't necessarily be broadcast on Bloomberg. So lots of content that's going to help people do a better job, okay. a way to, to meet together at the conferences, and then there'll be an online network that we'll announce in May that will help them continue that relationship and give them access to a whole set of, of services and products and support for being successful. So I'm a CEO and something comes out of left field. Um, how do I then access you guys or your peers or... Uh, uh, whoever I need to access to get me some feedback on how to address this issue that's just come across my desk. Well, you know, the, the, the C-Suite Network is really great for that. So when we when we launch the online network in May, you'll be able to pose a question. Hey, I've got this kind of problem. It'll be posed to the membership. And everybody who, who's got something to offer will be able to communicate directly back to you and offer you their, their insights and feedback. 
We'll also have sponsored events inside the network that will be not really like webinars, they're like almost like hangouts in the Google right. nomenclature where we'll have a particular topic and we're at like at two o'clock on Friday we'll talk about how to how to do business in China in a particular market. And people okay. who are interested in that can show up and we'll have a, a, a speaker and they'll be able to stimulate the conversation around how you can do something that maybe you're thinking about doing or something you're having troubles with. Right. So what's what's the biggest fear facing CEOs, what, what do they sort of wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat about? I think the biggest fear CEOs have is are they going to have a job tomorrow morning? Yeah. Well. You know, it is the uncertain, and that's because the uncertainty is so great today. You know, yeah. I started out in business in, in, the, in, the, in the 70s, and how things work was pretty predictable. Yeah, if you sure. follow a certain formula, you, you could probably be pretty successful. In the 90s, that started changing pretty dramatically. And now, it, the rules of the game aren't clear. It requires a tremendous amount of alertness. It requires great dexterity to change when something shows up that you don't expect. It really, you're on your toes every minute of every day. I think that creates people a, a little fear. And probably not bad to have that kind of fear, but at the same time, you need to be able to step past that fear so you don't act from it. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit destabilizing. I guess you need to have excellent... You know, one of the keys is to have excellent relationships with both your board and your shareholders because if either one of them turn, it's a bit like being an NFL coach, isn't it? You can be gone in 30 seconds. <laughs> it is true, you know, and the thing about the board and uh, is that, you know, one of the misnomers we have is that I can't tell bad news to my board. The truth is, as long as I tell the bad news early, I usually am okay. It's just when I hold it back, thinking I'm going to fix it, and then I don't, and they get surprised is when they get really irritated and they might want to fire me. Yeah. So we have to go past our old practices of holding things too close to the vest and really be disclosive. You know, the whole thing about transparency that the Internet gives us is something that we need to think about as leaders as well. Now, okay, that, that brings me to another point. You, there doesn't seem to be that much activity from C-suiteers in social media. So is that because they're, they're too busy or they're slow adopters or do they think social media is somehow beneath them and for the, for the peasants? Or what is it? Why is there a... Or am I wrong I altogether? I, 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 think it's, I think it's a number of reasons. I, one of the reasons is they simply don't understand it. You know, uh, you know still a C-suite, for the most part, is a little older. Yep. And mostly male, not completely, and their way of relating to customers and other people was pick up a phone, send an email, send a letter. Well, that's not the way it works anymore. Yeah, I think so. I think it's part of it. I think part of it is we've been trained to uh, spin things. You know, if you have bad news, how do you spin it so it doesn't look bad and that kind of thing? And yeah. the internet absolutely has no space for that. We could unmask if we do that. So it's a whole set of different ways to be. That, that leaders not familiar with. Yeah. Good for business, they're just not particularly familiar with it. I think the other is they're busy and they, they have a story. Yep. I don't have time for this. Well, do you not have time for your customers? Yeah. I mean, really, that's the question I always ask myself. Well, of course, I have time for my customers and then I need to make time for social media. Yeah, because it's, it's interesting that they will use social media extensively for research, for product development, for all of those things, and yet um, they... They don't understand it per se. That's kind of weird. I guess it's well, there. They really don't. And, and it's, I think, you know, they didn't grow up with it. You know, the younger people coming up have start, had Facebook a long time, and they've got yeah. Twitter, and they've got other things. And I, and I also think 
it moves so fast. You know, you've got to have a certain mindset to not get overwhelmed by it, particularly sure. the Twitter space. You need to use the right tools and filter the stuff out so you can see what's important to you and listen to the right things. I, I, and again, I don't think many C-suite leaders have done that. Now, my partner Jeffrey, he's a, he's a master at that. When he was at Kodak, he was one of the top C-suite leaders in social media in the world. Sure. And that's really borne out well for him because he was able to spot challenges in the business, react to them quickly, and then reorganize the company around that. So all C-suite leaders, you said it yourself, it's a great listening device. Yeah, Listen it is. Listen to your customers. It's right there in the network if you know how to look. Yeah. I guess it's also overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, if you get involved in social media, it's a bit like letting loose an avalanche, or it can be. And then I think that's probably daunting. You know, once it, once I start getting copying this, then how the hell do I um, handle it, control it? Well, you're right. So they'll say to themselves, oh, gosh, uh, there's one more thing that I can't do, or one more thing that I'm behind in, or whatever it is. And it's like yeah. uh, they don't want that on their plate. One more, one more place I could be a failure. I don't think they don't like that at all. So what are the most common leadership mistakes that people make, and how do we avoid them or overcome them? Let's see. Well, the most common leadership mistake I think people make is to um, not be uh, transparent about what's going on. Yeah. I mean, C-suite leaders still have the tendency to hold things back, to talk privately among themselves, not share things with the organization. Yeah. I was just talking to a company the other day that went through a tremendous upheaval. They had the, the previous uh, management team of the company had uh, bought assets that weren't turning out. They had left almost no money in, in the till. And the leadership that came in was able to turn that around by being completely disclosive about everything every day. And yes. it builds trust. And, you know, people don't feel like they can trust leadership. Well, that's because leadership is not being straightforward with them. And if they are, that trust will soar and it will show up in the top and bottom line. Yeah. I guess it's easier, though, for somebody coming in to say, well, look, our predecessors really screwed up, but we're going to fix it for you, <laughs> than it is to stand up there and put your ass on the line and be counted. <laughs> <laughs> that you can actually run a successful business. Yeah. So what are the most essential qualities that a great leader should possess? Well, I think integrity. For me, integrity starts, you know, it's like, can you be counted on to do what you say when you say it? It's really simple. But, you know, I've worked with the biggest companies, and quite frankly, the CEOs of those companies and, and their teams don't have a lot of integrity. I just call it lack of accountability. Something right. goes wrong. Look at the big companies today. Take J.P. Morgan Chase. They had this, these huge losses, and the CEO's still there and just got a raise. Yeah. Well, yeah what message does that send to the, to the organization? Yeah. Well, is that... You know, well, it's covering cover your backside because the people that aren't at the top are going to be the ones that are going to get the, get the consequences, and the upper echelon of the company aren't going to have any accountability focused on them. Well, that's a terrible situation for companies. How much? How much is that? How much of that is um, comes down to charisma? Because charisma seems to fill a lot of holes. Well, well, you know, I was. I, I it's a good question, and I, I think charisma is 
it's overrated personally. I think you can do a lot with charisma. It's like really great salespeople have lots of charisma. But you can't sustain that charisma day after day with the same people. They get tired of it. Yeah. And what you need, if you, if you, if you are totally authentic with folks and you're really straightforward, they're going to want to gravitate towards you rather than a really high-charge charismatic person because a charismatic person is often somebody you're a little like, can I really trust what they say? Yeah. I, I like it. It's entertaining, but can I trust it? Whereas the authentic person, they may or may not be engaging, but you know you can rely on them. Yeah, sure. Well, Thomas, thank you very, very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Program on Voice America Business. I, uh, I think um, C-Suite Network is a fantastic idea, and, um, and it's been great to speak with you. Now, if you'd like to know more about the C-Suite Network, go to c-suitenetwork.com, or you can just email me here at bob at bobpritchard.com, and I'll scoot you directly over to Thomas. Thomas, make sure you pass on my best regards to Jeffrey. And, I'll uh, do that, Bob. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back in just a moment. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 150th edition of Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. No, absolutely no bullshit business radio show here on the Voice America Business Network. I must admit it's been a fantastic experience. When I started three years ago, I didn't have any experience, radio experience or at all, except being a guest on lots of programs. And uh, I was as nervous as hell those first 13 shows. I've got a bit used to it now, but um, I still enjoy it. And I love every minute of all the preparation that goes into putting together a show like this because um, I learn so much. It's fantastic. And so I'm really looking forward to the next three years. And uh, we greatly appreciate the emails that you send us and the questions that you ask us. It makes us think as well as you. I mean, things are changing so quickly that uh, the answers that I would have given you five years ago to most of these questions are now totally different. Ninety, more than probably more than ninety percent of the work that I do, apart from this radio program and with speech presentations and with my consulting business, is um, with entrepreneurs and early stage companies. And uh, the reason I love it is because it's it's so diverse, and it's it's in most cases cutting edge. It's disruptive, and uh, most of it's global. 
you know, as I said earlier in the show, I just got back from um, Singapore, Hong Kong. Uh, I was up there for a client, and uh, it's fabulous. I love it. So um, it, it's been exciting. It's been an exciting three years, and I'm looking forward to another three years. Now, last week, I addressed an email from Melissa Sweeney from Columbia, South Carolina, where she said she'd started a business, which is going pretty well, and she now has two part-time employees, but a big issue is time. Try to combine her studies with running the business. So she's she's going to university, and she is um, running a startup business, so so trying to find the time is difficult. I, I began last week to talk about the need to delegate, and then, then I ran out of time. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you typically want to do it all yourself. You know, it's your baby. You've nursed it through. You think you've thought of all the angles, and, uh, you know, nobody's going to do it quite as well as you do it. Um, and you're going to pay a lot more attention to detail than somebody else is. And I must admit I'm guilty of that. I, I often look at things and think, gee, you know, if I delegate this to somebody, I'm sure it won't be done as well as I'd do it. Um, and, you know, in most cases, you're wrong. There's lots of unbelievably talented people out there. And, um, you know, so whatever tasks you choose to delegate, do it with the same attention to detail you do with everything else. Delegate to people who have proven to be honest, proven to be reliable, um, and are good thinkers, clearly define the purpose and the significance and how it fits into the big picture and the required timeline and let the person know that you believe in them and you trust in them and give them enough leeway so they feel independent but not enough that something can go horribly wrong and it bites you in the ass. But... um, Establish a method to, to measure success. You know, set up some KPIs. The end results will be your staff feel more empowered, they're more enthusiastic, more committed, and uh, it gives you a lot more time to finish your studies and also to um, focus on growing your business. So, Melissa, that was a bloody good question and uh, a copy of Marketing Magic. This is a book I wrote a few years ago with Brian Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson, Robin, Robert Bly, and there was a bunch of others, um, and it's on its way out to you. It's a good fun book, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. I was going to tackle, I got an email about Uber, and uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I, I um, saw a couple of articles during the week, and one of them uh, that um, – really caught my eye was a, an article by Andrew Leonard about why Uber is a bad thing. And I hadn't thought about many of the points that he made, but uh, I'm going to address that next week because it's, it's really interesting. And a lot of these disruptive things, you know, there are a couple of ways to look at them. And I think one of the problems is that it's empowering the rich to get richer and richer and richer and creating a gap in both technology and uh, um, wealth that is probably unsustainable. 
So my last email today is going to be from Alastair King from Chicago who writes, um, Dear Bob, I really enjoy the program. Keep up the good work. I realise that to be successful in today's environment, we need to continue to evolve our businesses and that means we all need to be more creative. So how do I encourage my team who are essentially just worker bees, how do I encourage them to be you know, more creative? How do I get them to look at things differently and not in the same way that um, people have been for centuries? Unfortunately, I don't know what business you're in. That makes it a bit harder, but it's a great question and you're, you're totally correct. You know, we, we continually need to be enhancing our offer. We continually need to try to be disruptive because if you're not disruptive in your business, someone's going to be. And you look at the businesses that have totally changed and businesses that have just totally disappeared over the last few years, and that's going to grow quicker and quicker. So all of your staff need to be making creativity a habit. And it's it's an, an essential skill for navigating a the increasingly complex business environment. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get people who are not used to thinking differently to think differently. Um, get them to do different things. You know, I'll, I'll often go for a walk around the block and talk to people during a walk. Um, creating competition, creating a bit of stress is good. So try to create an, a, some sort of a, an in-between between, between um, totally stressed out where absolutely nothing gets done and a little bit of edgy stress where people need to think. Um, take them out of the office wherever possible. Take them on a train ride. Go and hire a couple of bikes. Take them on a bike. But just get people to think differently. Um, it's a good email, uh, Alistair. Thank you. So don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter. My um, September newsletter went out a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if you sign up now, we'll get one off to you. So email me, tweet me, tell me what it is you want me to talk about. Become a uh, contact on LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn very frequently and it's a fabulous resource great resource for finding staff i'm looking for some staff for a project in brazil and uh, received 300 odd uh, applications in four or five days so thanks for listening to the bob pritchard no bullshit business radio show for entrepreneurs and remember if you're serious about being successful this is the place to come every week at the same time i'm bob pritchard Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week, and we'll talk about Uber next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.